Hello, I'm Lucy. And I'm Michelle. Welcome to the 29th episode of Tudoriferous, the biographical podcast that examines lives in the Tudor era. And today, Ferdinand of Aragon. Hooray. Hopefully not <laughs> useless. <laughs> well, Ferdinand II of Aragon, or if you prefer, Ferdinand III of Naples, or the King of Athens, or Athens. joint ruler of Aragon and Castile, or, although this was a title he just gave himself, Emperor of All Africa. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he better do well. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he set himself up some tie targets, I think. <laughs> First of all, we'd like to thank two more patrons who've joined us since last yes. time. Mary Eve, I'm assuming it's Gautier, could be Gauthier, but I'll go with Gautier, and Eric Nicholson of the Ranking 76 podcast. Thanks, Eric. So, thank yeah. you. Thank so both of you. Welcome to both of you. Yes. And I come clean right from the start. This is in three parts. And part one contains very little to do with England. Okay. But it will clarify several things that are going on on the continent, continent which will have a knock-on effect right. on England. Okay. That's hilarious. <laughs> In my head, you were going to find absolutely nothing, according to all the researchers of Isabella. And now it's three episodes. <laughs> I thought that it's five episodes altogether, including two special episodes. <laughs> I thought that because I got in touch with you and said, I'm a bit worried there's not very much. But I left the calendar rolls till, till the end. And as soon as I started on those, that was it. There was just a sort of deluge right. of fascinating information. And these are the Spanish calendar rolls or the English? Spa yes, Spanish. Spanish, right. Because mm. the English ones were more focused on what Isabella was doing than Ferdinand. Most things do. Okay. It was quite hard. To, it was only when I got to the, the calendar rolls that I was able to sort of winkle... Ferdinand away from Isabella because <laughs> for ages it was Isabella Ferdinand and Isabella Ferdinand and Isabella. I right. Like, I don't, we've done her. But yeah, I found out a lot about him and he's not useless. Okay. Not useless. Not useless. <laughs> uh, part two has much more about England. Okay. And in part three, we'll look at his interactions with Henry VIII, which is quite fascinating. So just hang on in there. There will be England. Okay. <laughs> and I did think, I did think, should I leave that till next season? Because it is all about Henry VIII. But I thought, no, no. I'll keep, it makes more sense to put all, keep all the Ferdinands together. Yeah. I agree. And I know you don't like Ferdinand, but try and approach this episode with no preconceptions. Okay. <laughs> he might surprise you. Okay. Certainly, the man you see when you look at him from Isabella's point of view is very different from the one you see when we get to look at his own history. Okay. Because, yeah, I read a book about Isabella and Ferdinand did just come across as a rather pointless appendage. Yes, very much so. It reminded me, you know those fish and she's huge and he's tiny. Yes. And the, the male fish sort of becomes fused to the female fish and loses all his vital organs apart Except from the sexual ones. Yes. <laughs> yes. So she ends up swimming around with just a whole bunch of little, uh, yeah, this is a family-friendly show. <laughs> yes, yes, we'll leave it there. But that's how Ferdinand came across in books about Isabella. Oh, no. <laughs> but he's not like that at all. She's just got him in a purse. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, come with me, if you will. It's been a long time since we've said yes. that. To the Castilian city of Toledo. Isabella is looking forward to welcoming her husband. 
He's been away in Aragon, but now he's coming home. Hello, my love, he says, jumping from his horse. What have you been up to while I've been away? Me, she answers. Oh, I've been consolidating the strength of our kingdom. I've been purifying our land of unchristian forces. I've been stamping down on lawlessness. Oh, and I've had another baby. Always busy, says her husband, patting her on the cheek. I've brought you back a present. What is it? She's wary. She doesn't like surprises. Is it another lady? <laughs> <laughs> Just then a huge creature comes lumbering into the courtyard, so we have to hope not. It's an elephant, her husband shouts with excitement. He got Isabella her an elephant? Looks, Isabella looks the animal over. Give me strength, she mutters. <laughs> <laughs> yep, he's got an elephant. Oh my goodness, why? Why? <laughs> why? <laughs> probably saw it and thought oh she'll love that oh i probably would actually yeah <laughs> especially if they brought me yeah. a baby elephant <laughs> <laughs> so what was ferdinand like several reports said he had laughing eyes he was moderate in all things and felt pity for the poor hmm. it was easy to get access to him if he felt he had a grievance he had a very even temperature 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 even tem- <laughs> He had a very even temperament and always appeared to be happy. He wasn't given to the sort of towering rages that other rulers seem to have. Right. And these aren't sycophantic reports from from his chroniclers. They come from several disinterested sources. One reporter said he knew how to camouflage himself, meaning, I think, that he didn't let on what his thoughts and feelings were. Oh, okay. So you never knew what he was going to do. You couldn't read him. Uh, this is important. His eyebrows were the same colour as his hair and were separated from one another. So no <laughs> monobrow. <laughs> so if you're thinking that he just seems the sort to have a monobrow, <laughs> banish that thought from your head. Why would they put that in? I, somebody else in his family uh, must have had. Maybe. Maybe they were talking about somebody else and then they went on to Ferdinand and said, but he didn't have a monobrow. <laughs> he was asthmatic. Apparently, the young Ferdinand was a chess master. He could also ride, joust and throw a lance better than most. He was more easygoing than Isabella. And he had a sense of humour, which she did not. Did not. No, she did not. That never came out. But he was more ruthless, cynical and calculating. And he actually liked Rodrigo Borgia, which is probably saying something. Yeah. He paid attention to advice, including Isabella's, but not in the way that sort of abnegated responsibility. He wasn't like Maximilian, who wouldn't listen to anybody. Yeah. I don't know. This is not the way I've pictured him at all. No. Well, that's why I thought I'd mention what he was, what other people said of him. Except for liking the Rodrigo Borgia. Because, I mean, he did have mistresses and illegitimate children, just like Borgia. Mm. Yeah, he was pious but not fanatical like Isabella. But as Machiavelli astutely noticed, he sometimes used this cover of piety to enter into conflicts for entirely different reasons. Oh. Isabella had religious reasons for wanting to oust the Muslims from Granada. Yes. Ferdinand said he was doing it for religious reasons, and I'm sure that's what he told Isabella. Okay. But he was mainly thinking of land expansion, money, exhibiting military prowess, that sort of thing. Which is much more a kingly thing to do, though. That's what they want. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yes. Well, okay. certainly Machiavelli, Machiavelli wasn't knocking it. <laughs> this was great. <laughs> and the reason we think this is because he didn't get rid of the Muslims in Aragon. He seemed quite right. happy to leave them alone. 
But there was no financial or expansionist reasons for wanting to get rid of them from there. No, and they were still paying that tax. Yes, whereas in Castile, they got rid of Muslims and Jews and ended up almost bankrupting themselves. Yes. Yeah, we have the same problem that we had with Maximilian when he relocated the Jews of Austria for financial reasons rather than fanatical religious ones, which is the least offensive of two horrific reasons, <laughs> religious or pragmatic. I mean, those poor people still had to convert or leave. Yes, and die oh. as they were being yeah. hammered by artillery. Mm. Uh, yeah, there is no good reason to go to war if you're the aggressor. No, and there's certainly no good reason of getting rid of... An entire entire group of people. Yeah, Yeah. no. Machiavelli devoted an entire chapter of the prince to Ferdinand, and some say he may actually have been the prince himself, although the same was said for Cesare Borgia and Lorenzo de' Medici and several others. But, yeah, some people say the whole book was written about Ferdinand, and I wouldn't be at all surprised having got to know him. Really? That's not what I thought at all. In my head, it was entirely Italians. But I guess if Ferdinand was a king in Italy, it would include him. Machiavelli was just incredibly impressed by him. He said, quote, In our time, we have Ferdinand of Aragon, the present king of Spain. He can be regarded as a new prince because from being a weak king, he has risen to being, for fame and glory, the first king of Christendom. If you study his achievements, you will find that they are all magnificent and some of them unparalleled, unquote. No, you you didn't see that coming, did you? Uh, I'm (laughs) sort of calling bull because Ferdinand was very adamant that it needed to say Ferdinand and Isabella. Was this written during Isabella's time so she would have been an actor in Ferdinand's so-called marvellous, miraculous achievements? I'm not sure, but... Machiavelli is not dumb. No, he's not dumb, but he also he doesn't include women much. Which makes me think that he just sort of assumes all of the attributes are Ferdinand. So maybe Ferdinand is good, but the two of them mm-hmm. together is what comes to that marvelous. Okay, I haven't convinced you yet, obviously. No. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. <laughs> you might. Yeah. Re-listening to the episode you did on Isabella, I was struck by how simple everything was because she was pretty upfront. Very, yes. I, I noticed we gave her an amphibole score of six. I presume that was for the fake princess. For the fake princess and the fact that she was manipulating absolutely everybody on the continent like a mother. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and having just researched Maximilian, because apart from siding with Perkin which was pretty unsubtle as far as everybody is concerned. <laughs> he was something of a one-trick pony, wasn't he? Yes, he was. I've got him, you want him, now pay for him. Yes, and I won't give him. <laughs> Ferdinand is in a different league. Okay. He could give masterclasses on Amphiboly. Oh, are we looking at sort of another, the spider, universal spider? Yes, well, it's odd you should say that because, yeah, the spider, he was quite impressed with Ferdinand. Really? <laughs> Yeah, it made me rethink Henry, because we all saw him as a pretty nifty amphibolizer, didn't we? Yes. Ferdinand has him over a barrel all the time. Really? Yes. Yeah, Henry's in the nursery slopes in comparison. Really? Mm. Uh, Okay, I'm surprised and impressed, (laughs) which I probably shouldn't be. 
No. no. <laughs> I don't want to be I impressed with this part. <laughs> I found, especially in part three, where we'll follow Ferdinand's thinking from beginning to end for on one particular plan, I was fa- I found myself completely drawn in. I was fascinated okay. by it. When, F- when Ferdinand was 22, he was seen as wise beyond his years. But on the other hand, he was also seen as a party animal and a womanizer. He already had several illegitimate children. Yes. And as I say, he was 22. <laughs> yes, but isn't so, he married already? He was an early starter. Yes, he was. He married at 15, 15. I think. It was. Yeah. Mm. Shame, shame. <laughs> mm. I didn't say he was a good man. I said he was an interesting <laughs> one. <laughs> And before we get started on the story, we haven't got started on the story yet, but we will. (laughs) There are two aspects of it that have been relegated to other episodes. And both of them cover his relationship with his daughters. Oh, okay. Yeah, because Juana will get her own episode. So we can decide then whether Ferdinand was seriously worried about his daughter's mental health or whether he just sort of picked up the baton from Philip and ran with it. Yes, we've got this. Now we can get steel. Yeah, well, we'll see a bit of that here, but I think we should leave it to her episode to decide okay. exactly what's going on. Oh, more we really need to get one. <laughs> <laughs> and Catherine of Aragon will be doing a special episode following the negotiations of her wedding to Arthur and her weddings to Arthur and Prince Henry. And at the end, we could put up a poll on the website where you could vote for who behaved worse: Ooh. her father-in-law Henry or her father Ferdinand. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I think it'll be a close one. (laughs) So bear in mind as we go through Ferdinand's story that there are the issues of his family relationships to take account account of too when we get to the rating. Yes. Already boo. (laughs) I just feel poor little Catherine until she becomes Henry's wife and starts fighting for not divorcing him. In her younger days, she feels like a little mouse that's just being played with, with a bunch of cats. Just batted back and forth with no, I don't know, no consideration of her feelings or her situation or anything. Maybe that's why she did fight so hard for the divorce, because... She had enough. (laughs) Against the divorce, because she probably thought, right, I'm not taking this anymore. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. I've had enough. It's the worm has turned. We get to get to his childhood at last. He was born on the tenth of March, fourteen fifty-two. But he wasn't the son of the King of Aragon, Alfonso the, the Alfonso the Fifth, but his nephew. Wait a second. Oh no, no, no. Okay, we're not talking about Aragon, right? Yeah, we are talking about Aragon. Ferdinand's not the son. No. Ferdinand. He's not the son of the King of Aragon at this point, Alfonso the Fifth. He's his nephew. Oh, so Alfonso dies and his... And then his dad takes over. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, yes. I probably... <laughs> wow. I was like, this is a scandal. <laughs> what happened? Because <laughs> I was positive I read that he was the second son. <laughs> yeah, he is. But Ferdinand's mother, Juana Enriquez, was very keen that he should become king, though. And by the sound of it, she was a very forceful character. Uh-oh. In fact, if I was to get all psycho- psychoanalytical, I might say that he married his mother, I think. Oh, but now my question is, did she do away with the king? If she was that adamant? Not the king. Uh-oh. She postponed Ferdinand's baptism for over a year 
until King Alfonso agreed to make his brother the heir, which he did. And then on Alfonso's death, Ferdinand's father became John II or John the Great. So that is right. Ferdinand's father. Okay. Um, um, that sounds a little bit as if she sort of held his baptism at his throat Ransom. and said, "Yes, but it's uh, no." She she said, "I'm not going to have him baptized until he is made an heir." Um, the heir. Because then she was able to have him, because he's now the Infanta, he's, she's able to have him baptised in the Cathedral Basilica of Our Lady of the Pillar in Zaragoza with all the pomp and circumstance of being the Infanta. And that's what she was after. But that's so risky with infantile death. You could have yes. consigned him to hell. Yeah, if he'd died in his first year, he'd have been in purgatory for the rest of his... yes. Whatever it is afterwards. Apparently, I looked this up, and apparently Catholics don't believe that anymore. They have a more yes. merciful God. <laughs> I, I looked that up. They're, they're born without sin now, <laughs> whereas before they were born full of sin. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely riddled with it. Which is so sad. I mean, look at it. They can't even move. How can it be sinful? <laughs> His dad's John the Great, and I've decided to go with John rather than Juan to differentiate him from all the other. Okay, Juan, the other, the <laughs> that other works Juans. for me. <laughs> But Alfonso, yes, he did have a son who became Ferdinand I of Naples. I'm not quite sure why he didn't succeed his father in Aragon, Aragon. unless he was trying to spread it about. But by all accounts, and I think we'll probably do a cameo episode on him, he was an awful person. So They all are. I think he was exceptional. Oh. I think Aragon had a lucky escape there. Are we equivalating him to, I don't even know if that's a word. Equivalating <laughs> <laughs> <It's all right. laughs> him to like Cesare Borgia. Yes, I think so. Uh-oh. We'll, we'll definitely do a cameo and find out all about him. Uh-oh. Ferdinand had a half-brother, Charles, but he was in open rebellion with their father. Okay. And he led an army against him. Charles died unexpectedly oh, yes. in Barcelona, and the rumour was that Juana Enriquez, Ferdinand's mum, poisoned? had had him poisoned. Oh, my. So that Ferdinand could get to the throne. There's always rumours of poisoning if someone dies unexpectedly, but this one does seem to have stuck. Yes. Or it could have been tuberculosis. <laughs> I want to go with poison. That way she's more maniacal. <laughs> what does that say about us that we keep going for the worst of the two yes. <laughs> yeah she poisoned him definitely <laughs> Ferdinand's early life was beset by civil war and he fled Barcelona with his mum and they hid in a French garrison at Girona so he was yet another ruler who had a difficult childhood right in 1468, when Ferdinand was 16, King John gave him Sardinia and Sicily. And these were a thank you from John for Ferdinand's help in all the many, many, many battles in John's reign. Okay. Because he really started young. Yes, he did. And I remember thinking, like, are you under your father's thumb and your father just keeps calling and off you go and you leave your wife and your child? But I guess... It's expected yes. and he's being rewarded for it. He's being rewarded and it's necessary. Okay. And also, I suppose since his other son had openly rebelled against him, this little present was, he was saying to Ferdinand, you know, thanks for not rebelling, son. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for staying with me. But this does mean that later when the French move in on Naples, Ferdinand has territory that's just over the Straits of Messina. Right. Easier to attack. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, he was made lieutenant of all the land owned by John, 
so that he could govern if John was away. And also, given that his dad was in his 70s, maybe it was to cover if the old man became incapacitated. Wow. 70 years old. Mm. Doesn't seem that big of a deal now, but wow, 70 years old. That's not bad going, is it? Yeah, not and to at be all. so active that you're still fighting civil wars. Yes. Mind you, it doesn't say much for your reign if you are still writing, fighting, fighting civil wars. wars in your 70s. <laughs> is he fighting wars in both Aragon and in Naples? Is it Naples? I don't is know about like... Naples. No, I don't think we've there. we're not there yet. Okay. Also, when he was 16, Ferdinand presided over the General Cortes in Zaragoza, where everyone was amazed by his statesmanship and ability. Really? Mm. Well, his mother favorable. would have done it, but she was dying of breast cancer. Oh, no. But the fact that she would have done it instead of him. Yes. <laughs> well, I presume she's probably... He is only the heir at the moment, so she would naturally be helping out the yes. husband, wouldn't she, I suppose? It yes. Might not, it might not be a sign that he's... You know, says, would, would you do it, Mum? Oh. <laughs> when she died, apparently her corpse smelt beautiful. So she must have been a saint. So all those oh, rumours of poisoning can't possibly have been true. Really? That's yep. how they decided if she was good or not? I remember, yes, uh, St Cuthbert, of um, the saint at Durham. They dug him up many, many years after he died. And he was, he, this beautiful aroma <laughs> wafted out of the, oh, the tomb when they, when they dug him up. So definitely a saint. So is she a saint? Did they make her a saint? I don't think so. I think she was just saintly, but I don't know because I don't know. I don't know about um, Spanish saints. There's okay. probably lots of them because they usually are in Catholic countries, aren't they? Yes. He accompanied his father in the ongoing civil war, and they rode victorious into Barcelona together, where Ferdinand convinced his father to pardon everyone except the commander. And I wondered if this was apocryphal, trying to make him out as saintly as his mother, because he certainly wasn't as forgiving as <laughs> in other campaigns. No. Or maybe he got hardened to it. Possibly. Hmm. And since his youth had been spent almost constantly in battles. Yeah, I can't imagine what kind of trauma that would do to you. Hmm. Yeah. Now where his education fitted in, I'm not sure. I just imagine him on a horse all the time. But Yes. And as I said, he also learnt how to negotiate in such a way that he received praise from none other than Louis XI. Really? I want mm. to... Do you have that? those words? Or is this one of those, you can take it one way or the other? I don't know what what he said. He just okay. patted him on the head and said, <laughs> jolly good amphibolizing. <laughs> <laughs> Aragon was, was governed differently from Castile. The Cortes of Aragon, Catalonia and Valencia were far more powerful and independent than those of Castile. Okay. And they were weak and dominated by the monarch. Well, and okay. So, certainly Ferdinand and Isabella made sure of that when they became monarchs. Yes, because if we go back to Isabella's half-brother, hmm. they were in charge and she had to claw all the power back. Yeah, but I think I got the impression that legally she could do that. Oh, okay. Whereas the setup was different between right. Castile and Aragon. right. In fact, Ferdinand found it quite irritating that he was expected to consult with his Cortes more than Isabella was expected to consult with hers. Oh, I can imagine. The oath of the Aragonese nobility, which stressed their fueros, 
or constitutional rights, went as follows, quote, We, who are as good as you, <laughs> swear to you, who are no better than us, to accept you as our king and sovereign lord, provided you accept all our liberties and laws. But if not, not, unquote. Wow, that's stronger yeah. than the Magna Carta. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> yes. And less about fishing rights. Yes. That's surprising because we always talk about the Magna Carta as being this bastion of freedom of rights. No, this is actually more to the point <laughs> and a bit, yes. quite a bit more firm. Wow. Yes, you must, you must be completely withering, mustn't it? Yes. <laughs> right, you're king, but you're no better than me. This sounds very much like when a Roman comes into the triumph and somebody's mm. standing behind them. Remember, you are mortal. Remember, yes. you are mortal. They're kind of throwing that in Ferdinand's face. Mm. Yeah. But it's, it's the law of the land, so I mean, it's nothing personal. Yes. I'd be impressed if it included the peasants. <laughs> but it yeah, doesn't. No, I think that's pushing it too far. <laughs> but it makes it sound more like an oligarchy rather than a monarchy. Mm. Yeah. Yes, it's just a pity they were all at Nasty each other's throats all the time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there's constant civil it's probably why there were constant civil wars, is because all of them were powerful. Right. Yeah. They could have done so much good with that. Well history, eh? History's yes. history. You just, you just want to take history and bang its head against a <laughs> wall, don't you? Yes. They sort yes, yourselves you out. <laughs> Mind you we're no better. Any attempt to gain more power was seen as a breach of the nobles' fueros. Okay. So Ferdinand was severely restricted in what he could get done in Aragon, which may explain why he spent so much more time in Castile. No kidding. And I know you got very irritated with him because he was always popping home to sort out this or that. Yes, but this makes a bit more sense. Yeah. For a start, there was a civil war in his country, so that was quite important. It's a catastrophe. Yeah, yeah. He didn't go back as much as maybe he ought to have done, especially after his dad died, since it was his country. Yes. And, yeah, Ferdinand could hardly help being the junior partner in the marriage since Castile was so much bigger and more powerful than Aragon. It's not just that one is bigger and has more clout in the world. It's just Castile, they have more clout in Castile than right. they do in Aragon. Right. So he probably felt... A lot more powerful in Castile. Yes. Even though Isabella was crumpling up his instructions and throwing them in the fire. <laughs> yeah. I fell in love with her. I'm sorry. I did. I fell in love with her. She was amazing. Yeah, I can't say I've fallen in love with Ferdinand, but yeah, I do. I'm, I do I find him interesting. He sounds more like a kicked puppy in his country. Than a ruler. I don't know. When you've, yeah, when we've done all the episodes, you might not think quite that. Okay. I certainly didn't feel, oh, Ferdinand, bless him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, one thing that can be said about Ferdinand that can't necessarily be said about other rulers, there was no hint of corruption. Deviousness, but not corruption. Okay. Point. And the reason for this <laughs> was that Ferd. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'll write that down. Like yes. One. <laughs> one point. <laughs> and the reason for this was that Ferdinand consulted people about his plans. I mean, part of it was that he couldn't help consulting people in Aragon, but he also did it in Castile. 
if people feel that they are part of how the country is run, they don't succumb to bribery because that would be scuppering the plan that they'd had a part in. Right. Okay. Because Maximilian's court was riddled with corruption and it was very easy to buy people off because he did things in secret and then told people, right, this is what's going to (laughs) happen. If they didn't agree, the only way out was was treason, really. Right. And Henry VII's court was corrupt because so many people saw him as a usurper. Well, and he encouraged extortion and bribery. (laughs) Oh, yeah. All of that. And I've put here, I've obviously had a bit of premonition there, Anyway, that's a tick in the Ferdinand column. I'm sure you'll <laughs> grudgingly agree. <laughs> I didn't just grudgingly agree. I was like, that's good. <laughs> right, his marriage to Isabella. Isabella wasn't his only offer. Charles the Bold offered Ferdinand his daughter Mary of Burgundy. Really? Mm, so is there any man that that woman hadn't been offered to? No kidding. Auntie Margaret wanted to give her to George, Duke of Clarence. Yes, which good out. <laughs> yeah, that was... uh, or Ferdinand. I think, I think she she did quite well. Did she though? Out of the three, yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, yeah, she could have done better <laughs> out of the three. <laughs> she could have married the King of Denmark. We haven't met yes. him yet, <laughs> but he has ships. <laughs> probably be sitting there saying when is he coming i've never seen him i don't i don't believe he exists (laughs) we saw in isabella's episode what isabella's reasons for marrying ferdinand were but what was in it for him castile well yes as we've heard aragon was facing civil war the catalans were disputing how much jurisdiction king john had over them so how much better for ferdinand it would be if he had the might of castile behind him yes John had gained the help of Louis XI, but only in return for the cession of Cédagne and Roussillon. And did he actually... I don't trust anything well, the Universal Spider says. In theory. <laughs> in theory. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be hearing a lot about Cédagne and Roussillon because all these rulers have their obsessions, don't they? Cause yes. Maximilian's was Burgundy. Mm-hmm. Henry's is the Pretender's. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the King of Denmark's was Edmund de la Pole. <laughs> and Ferdinand's was getting Cédania and Roussillon back. And he was obsessed with that. Yes. And it does give give them all a sort of Achilles heel, really, doesn't it? Because yes. people know, well, I, I know how to get around him. You have a vulnerability. Mm. A very public one, too. Yes. But this was why Ferdinand and Isabella decided to marry off their children to France's enemies and so encircle France. Ah, okay. Aragon was the traditional enemy of France until, well, I say until they they got together with Louis XI, but I don't think that helped, frankly. No. But Castile was traditionally an ally of France, so Ferdinand had to convince Isabella to form a common anti-French policy, specifically so that he could get Cédagne and Roussillon back. Just for the countries. Yeah, well, there's often one trigger that sort of snowballs into a major policy as well with these people. Oh, we've seen it with all the pretenders. I mean, yes. How much How much of England's major policies were based around get, getting the De La Poles back and Perkin mm. and Lambert Simnel. And Ralph Wilford, of course. And Ralph Wilford. I keep forgetting he existed, to be <laughs> yes. honest. I think he came and went, poor lad. 
Anyway, to go back to the marriage negotiations, they had to be carried out in secret since Isabella had said that she would allow her half-brother Enrique to choose her husband. Right. Though she she did have the right of veto. And then she decided to go off on her own. Yeah, well, he was plumping for Alfonso V of Portugal. And that would have put um, Isabella in the role of mere consort, and she wasn't having that. Nope. The Aragonese envoys met Isabella at night in her rooms. And meanwhile... Scandalous! Poor Alfonso of Portugal was sent the Archbishop of Lisbon to Spain to put the finishing touches to this wedding, which he'd been assured was in the bag. Well, she was young and he was old. I want this. (laughs) Sounds fantastic to me. (laughs) (laughs) I get a 15-year-old. Yeah. Creepy. But no, he didn't, because once Isabella had made up her mind to marry Ferdinand, she sent a messenger to him. The messenger himself was entrusted with the message, since Isabella didn't want to put anything in writing in case he was intercepted. And I thought, poor bloke. Oh, no. Because if he gives up the information, he can't say, oh, well, I was searched and they took the letter. Yes. The only way they could have got the information was if he passed it on. Yes. Hmm, not nice position to be in. That, and now he's open to be tortured. Yes. Because he doesn't have a physical message. He could just hand over and say, I never opened it. Mm. Yeah, I felt a bit sorry for him. Yeah. Enrique left, later left town, telling Isabella that she must promise not to move. Stay there. <laughs> but what he didn't know was that two months before, Ferdinand had signed a document confirming the betrothal. Isabella had very sensibly got him to sign a prenup. Oh, good girl. (laughs) Stating that although he could administer justice in Castile, everything else had to be done with Isabella's permission. Right. He couldn't even leave Castile without her permission. Really? Yeah. That's surprising. Well, it isn't, but it's surprising he agreed to it. Mm. He just had no intention of following it. He was to provide 4,000 lances to protect Isabella, since she now knew that she had made powerful enemies Ooh, by yes. contracting the marriage. Ferdinand was to provide 100,000 florins once the marriage was consummated. I don't know if immediately after. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awkward here. Yeah, I think so. Just put the money on the mantelpiece. <laughs> yeah. With 20,000 florins straight away, and any children they might have were to be brought up in Castile. So, as you said, why on earth did Ferdinand sign this document? Yes, because that is so restrictive for him. It is. I think he, and more to the point, his father, were very keen to get the marriage for the reason we've seen. Yeah. And it's quite likely they thought that once they were married, that Ferdinand would be able to make Isabella forget all about this nonsense about wanting to govern the country herself. Yes, because she was a woman. But Ferdinand had his mother as an example. Well, it's still... She only did the a Cortes when Dad was yes, at war. Yes, but she war. was still that forceful. She was. But maybe he thought nobody could be like my mum. Maybe, yeah. Uh, and especially once the baby started coming, obviously she'd be busy, busy with all that. Yes, true. And then Ferdinand would have all of Spain apart from Portugal, Navarre and Granada. So, you know, it's a good deal. <laughs> You can see from his point of view, and certainly from his dad's point of view, that I think she won't be following up on all yeah, this. Yeah, I suppose so. Hmm. Anyway, Enrique did leave town, ordering Isabella to stay put. And as soon as he'd gone, Isabella said she needed to go back to her hometown to, re- to organise celebrations for the anniversary of her brother's death, and she legged it. Meanwhile, Ferdinand had ridden out of Zaragoza 
dressed as a lowly groom. To hide himself. Groom of horses, not bridegroom, yeah. Yeah. The plan was that Ferdinand should leave Zaragoza, proclaiming loudly that he was going to see his father in Catalonia. Yes, I am going to Catalonia. Yes. But then he should slip into servants' clothes and join the Aragonese embassy on their journey back to Castile. Ah, okay. Meanwhile, the embassy would complain just as loudly that they'd come to talk to Ferdinand, but he'd just gone off to see his father in <laughs> Catalonia. Catalonia. <laughs> and I presume he had to be secretive in case the word got back to Enrique. No kidding. <laughs> you could be captured. You're in so much trouble if you are. Mm, yeah. Ferdinand and Isabella were married on the 19th of, 19th of October, 1469. She was 18, he was 17. And they were second cousins, so they got a special dispensation from Pope Paul II, as we've yeah, heard. Yeah, that, that's always a legitimate papal mm. dispensation. <laughs> what? Oh. Well, the Pope had only just given a dispensation for Isabella to marry Alfonso of Portugal, so he thought, oh. no, I've done that. Oh, oh. She can't marry both of them. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine the sinking feeling in your stomach when you realize that you've been married without that dispensation? Well, yeah, because the papal nuncio was bribed by King John. Yes. Just to turn a blind eye to it all. But John assumed that the dispensation would be granted later and time was of the essence. So it wasn't really faking a dispensation. It was just... <laughs> Making a temporary one so they could swap it over. Oh, yeah. Where it was faking a dispensation. <laughs> it was faking a dispensation. <laughs> On the day of their wedding night, their bloodstained sheets were displayed so that everyone could see that the marriage had been consummated. Oh, my which goodness. Which is lovely. Isn't Why don't that we still lovely? Do that? Mm, such a quaint tradition. I don't like that tradition. No. And also, it's not foolproof. I mean, you could. I don't know, skin a rabbit or something onto onto your sheets, couldn't you? I mean, it's not... Well, going into medical terms, not every woman bleeds either. No. No. And in those cases, I found a few mentions of governesses pricking their own fingers to add to the <laughs> sheets so that it wouldn't be known. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, there might be a better way to determine whether or not it was consummated. <laughs> Everything yep. could be faked. Well, there's always that waving a chicken wing over your, <laughs> over your stomach. <laughs> yeah. Oh, if it turns into a dove, <laughs> then you're still a virgin. <laughs> Enrique had raised Isabella to the status of heiress above his own daughter, Juana la Beltraneja. Yeah. So called after the nobleman that most people thought was her real dad. Which is horrible. It is. It is. It's for every, bad for everybody. It's bad for the girl. It's bad for the father. The biological dad. Yes. It's pretty awful for Enrique. He was meant to be a king and his, da his own daughter is named <laughs> Juana, the daughter of somebody else. But now he pushed Isabella back down again and raised Juana up to heiress. Yes. Isabella had blown her chances by marrying Ferdinand, and the marriage threatened to cause a civil war as Enrique's faction turned on Isabella's. Yes, but Isabella's was stronger. Ferdinand and Isabella were lucky that Pope Sixtus's envoy to Spain, because Pope Paul had died since then, was Rodrigo, Rodrigo Borgia. Borgia! <laughs> And he decided to back Ferdinand and Isabella rather than Enrique. 
and Ferdinand and Isabella got their papal dispensation, the real one. <laughs> so when we were wondering why Isabella put up with Alexander's misdemeanours for so long, yes, she could have had a feeling of gratitude. Yes. Because he had just gotten them out of a really tricky situation. Yes, yes, true. All his pretty little sins. I'll, I'll mm. never forget that phrase, his pretty little sins. It's like, no, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> Unless you're referring no. to the women. <laughs> they are pretty little sins, but what he's doing is not. <laughs> no. And researching Katerina Sforza's episode for Patreon. 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 Tudoriferous Patreon. You know you want to. He was an extremely nasty piece of work. Really? I don't. Th I don't think I covered it because I was trying to keep to England. With yes. his episode. Yes. I'm thinking of including him as a patron, Patreon character so we can look at his whole life because I've come across parts of his life which are so utterly horrendous. Do we want to do that after we have done, or after Pontifax has done him, and then if they miss out on getting his character, we can do ours? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then we can get them on and talk to yep. Bree and have it up on both podcasts. Mm-hmm. Okay. That sounds good. Okay. Another way of advertising. Yes. <laughs> Cross promotion. Yeah, we're everywhere at the moment. Mm -hmm. Borgia arrived in Castile to try and sort out the problem between Enrique and Ferdinand and Isabella. At least to try to turn the nobles towards Ferdinand and Isabella with the selling of indulgences, a red hat for one particular powerful noble, and bulls promising to restore the purchaser to, quote, the state of purity and innocence in which you were oh when you goodness. were baptised, unquote. So, okay. <laughs> so Isabella bought one of those, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I, you know, we've got our friends at Ranking 76. I want them to pull up some sort of priest that can be as bad as some <laughs> of these. If, if you don't know about Ranking 76, they are doing people during the Wild West in the USA, and they've done some pretty awful characters, but I wonder if they have an equivalent priest as we've seen mm. some of these cardinals and bishops and popes being. Yes, I bet there are some sort of snake oil salesman have type to be. ones. Have yes. to be. Mm. Oh, well, there we are. That's, that's your project, ranking 76. Borgia's motives in all this was to prevent a civil war in Spain which would tie up Ferdinand and other fighting men when they could be going on crusade against the Turks. Oh, they need to go against the Turks. Have you seen what's yes. happening there? Patreon. <laughs> we were just discussing Mehmed. This wouldn't be Mehmed. This would be his son. Mm. But yes. It's but yes, get on with it. Just yes. go. <laughs> Not much seemed to be happening in Ferdinand and Isabella's campaign for the throne or at least recognition of their marriage, so Ferdinand went off to help his dad to fight the French. King John was being besieged in Pepignan. And when the French heard that Ferdinand was coming, they up sticks and left. So there you are, you're complaining that he disappears every two minutes, but his poor dad was yes. stuck, in, stuck in Pepignan. Well, I'm not saying Pe Pepignan's a nice place, I used to live there. But he was being besieged there. So, yeah, he had to rescue his poor... Poor 70-year-old 70, 70 dad. Yes, I wonder why they up in 
left? Is it because he was bringing more forces or was it Ferdinand himself? I don't know, but I'd have thought he probably came with a pretty big army. Yes. And then Ferdinand fell off his horse, which corrupted his blood. Oh, his blood was already corrupted. <laughs> but he got better. Good. <laughs> I, only, I only put that in because I love that phrase, corrupted, corrupted his blood. Yes. <laughs> I don't know whether he said that. So, oh, I feel awful. I'm, I'm sure my blood's corrupted. I just don't like the constant infidelity and how horrible that had to have been for women. And yes, it was common. It was expected. But still, your mm. poor wives. Meanwhile, Castile was descending into anarchy. And omens were everywhere. You won't, be, you won't believe this one. But <laughs> two wolves ran into the church of the Santa Catalina and covered the priest's robes with spittle. Really? I mean, that's, that's horrifying, isn't it? That is horrifying. <laughs> they just spat on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as omens went, I thought that was quite a, quite a tame one. Yes, but so weird. Like, I could see them saying, well, they urinated on it. That would make more sense than the spittle. Hmm. Unless, oh, I don't know. It depends if whether he carries dog biscuits in his pockets. <laughs> <laughs> Isabella announced that she was going to Seville to sort out the civil war for herself, and this was the first indication we got we get that she didn't need Ferdinand to act decisively. She managed to negotiate a meeting with Enrique, which was surprisingly convivial. And Ferdinand arrived on New Year's Day, fourteen seventy four, and was surprised to be greeted warmly. Hmm. Quote. The Lord Prince, that's Ferdinand, danced in the King's presence, which caused such delight, oh, it would take too long to explain, unquote. Oh so it all my. sounds absolutely lovely. It does. <laughs> but how long does that last? It reminds me of Christmas days when you've got too many family around. Mm. That actually has well, never happened to my family, but I've heard tales. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Ferdinand and Isabella, I like this, were advised that if they wanted to soften Enrique out, they should stuff him with pastries. <laughs> that's one of those irrelevant little dude. details <laughs> relevant little details you think yeah that's nice I'll put that in yeah and this seemed to bode well for peace rather than civil war so Ferdinand went back to Aragon to get on with his own civil war 11th of December 1474 Enrique died despite the fact it was Juana la Beltraneja who was meant to be the heir Isabella was proclaimed queen in Segovia and yep. then processed through the city, preceded by a man carrying a sword held by the point with a hilt upward, demonstrating very clearly that it was Isabella who was wielding the power and not Ferdinand and Isabella. Correct. Mm. This is the first indication that he was going to be an appendage. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that little fish swimming to the great big fish. <laughs> she then wrote to other cities, quote, I order you to raise flags for me, recognising me as your queen and natural mistress. Oh, and also to the high and mighty Prince King Ferdinand, quote <laughs> Really? <laughs> P.S. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, hang on. Yes. <laughs> I almost forgot him. <laughs> well, he wasn't there because the, ca the campaign against the French to get back Roussillon was going very wrong. Oh. And Roussillon was important. But anyway, as I said, Enrique died, and soon after, a Castilian gentleman arrived in Aragon and threw himself at Ferdinand's feet, quote, Today I kiss this hand a hundred and one times because it is now the hand of my king and master, unquote. That would be creepy. Yeah, I suppose 
less if you're expecting it it's less yeah it is though isn't it it is creepy well ferdinand was initially pleased by this news but then he thought hang on a cotton pick a minute this castilian gentleman has come from the archbishop not from isabella Oh. In fact, it was three days before he heard anything from Isabella. (laughs) And even then, the letter said, quote, The presence of the king would not be useless. (laughs) (laughs) But he he must do whatever he thinks fit in the circumstances, unquote. Brilliant. Has he just lost his mark in the, in the good column? No, but she gets a point now. Well, she was partly thinking that he might have enough, of, enough on his plate in Aragon. But not be useless? <laughs> but certainly the lukewarmness of this invitation certainly struck Ferdinand. <laughs> he gave instructions as to what to do with Roussillon. It just sounds as if he, you know, he was really battling, and then he just said, "Yeah, you do this, you do that, you do this." Right, I'm off. Because <laughs> then he hightailed it back to Castile. <laughs> and I'm not quite sure whether Isabella already knew that Ferdinand would take a back seat in in Castile. I keep wanting to call it Carlisle for some reason, <laughs> Castile. Or was her tepid invitation because she wasn't sure if he'd arrive? You know, sort of all guns blazing, saying, "Okay." Little lady, shift over. I'm ruling now. Or she was just hoping that he wouldn't come at all. (laughs) (laughs) I've got it here. (laughs) Well, most people did expect him to rule in his own right, including his father. And it could easily have been in his mind to take that route, especially when it got back to him that the sword had been carried before Isabella. And he was pretty disturbed by the news because he said, quote, I want Alfonso de Cavalleria, an expert on laws, and you, Palencia, who has read so much history to tell me whether, in the past, there has been a precedent of a queen who has ordered that she be preceded by the symbol of punishment of her vassals, unquote. <laughs> and when he was told that this was not a Castilian tradition, he kept expressing his astonishment all the way to Castile. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you... Oh, no. I can't believe she so did she, this. Mm. <laughs> no, it, it must be a misreport. Yes. Something went wrong there. Yes. Perhaps it wasn't a sword. Perhaps, I don't know. Maybe it was a a goblet of wine. Yes. (laughs) She would. But she did, didn't she? Yes, sire. (laughs) Yeah, just leave it. All right. (laughs) We've all heard it. As he travelled through the bitter cold winter heading for Segovia, he was gathering a large retinue about him, which must have looked as if he was building an army to take over. And Segovia was now split between those who'd follow the Queen with Ferdinand as consort and those who would follow Ferdinand. Uh-oh. No one in Segovia seems to be talking about Juana. Nabil Nobody talked about Juana. That poor girl. <laughs> yeah. She had it worse than Mary. Those who wanted Ferdinand to rule did so for reasons of gender. You know, a woman couldn't rule. Mm-hmm. End of story. And those who wanted Isabella to rule did so out of the fear that Aragon once they got one of their own on the throne... Would take over. Just sweep in, yeah. And that's exactly what they would have done, (laughs) in my opinion. I'm sure. sure. I mean, why not? On the 2nd of January, 1475, Ferdinand rode into town. He was welcomed with great celebration. He swore to respect the privileges and rights of the city. He swore his oaths in the cathedral. And then he went to see Isabella. I think he was showing... Yeah, we can all pretend to be indifferent, you know. Yes. 
fun and seemed to think that sex would do the trick. <laughs> of course. <laughs> when he was a teenager. <laughs> Quote, he was, he was confident of overcoming the situation with patience and he was sure of triumphing by assiduously satisfying the demands of conjugal love, which would undoubtedly soften the harsh intransigence that wicked men had placed in the Queen's heart, unquote. Oh, goodness. She just needs a damn good seeing, too. That's her trouble. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I know. The situation was put to arbitration with an Isabella supporter and a Ferdinand supporter. And it's not about whether they should have sex or not. That's about the whole situation. <laughs> <laughs> a new document came with that which didn't differ greatly from the marriage treaty. It gave Ferdinand a few more concessions. His name would go first on the coins, but they and they would never override each other's decisions. But, you know, That's he's still playing it. second fiddle. Yes. Isabella wanted a more authoritarian rule in Castile to try and mend the mess that her brother had made. And Ferdinand was in full agreement, because, as I said, he got so frustrated with Aragon. Yes. But if they thought that the death of Enrique meant that it was all be plain sailing from now on, they were very wrong. Enter Alfonso II, King of Portugal. He saw a way of getting his mitts on Castile, because he would marry Juana la Beltraneja. Yes. He was 43, she was 13. Yes, I remember. Grim, but we've come across matches before. But yeah. he was also... Uncle. 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 Hmm. Yeah. Lovely Uncle Alfonso. Uh, and this isn't the beginning of the Habsburgs yet, so... No. <laughs> this was May 1475. The threat which the King of Portugal posed meant that Ferdinand was given more powers in Castile because it seemed likely that he and Isabella would have to split up and defend different parts of the country, in which case each would have to have equal power wherever they might be. However, he was still not allowed to administer towns, cities and forts, hand out grants or appoint officials. <laughs> so I thought he'd be quite hampered in what he could actually do. Yes. <laughs> I will appoint officials. You can work with them, but no, they're my officials. Mm. When they were apart from each other, Ferdinand would write Isabella letters castigating her for not writing to him often enough. Oh, yes, I remember. Quote, if your ladyship does not wish to be responsible for murder... Ooh. You must write and let me know how you are, unquote. Oh, my goodness. Well, he is a teenager after all. Yes. I'm Jeez. surprised he hadn't written her sort of goth poetry as well. <laughs> Great. Now I'm picturing Ferdinand all in black with black eyeliner and mood yes. music. <laughs> and hair, hair all down one side of yes. his face. Yes. <laughs> Ferdinand wrote a will before going into battle. And in it, he worries about his illegitimate children. Quote, I trust that your royal highness will look after them as well, as well as, or better than I would myself, unquote. Which he, she did. She, she did. did. And he also requests that their daughter Isabel should be his heir in Aragon, a region with no tradition of female rulers. So. Wow. I wonder how he would have got that past the Cortes, though. Well, he'd have been dead by then, so uh, it's not his problem. Okay, but still, I mean, maybe it was a sort of a sop to Isabella to say, "Look, I want our daughter to be um, to be my heir." Well, perhaps. Okay, I'm off now. I'm dead. You sorted <laughs> out. Yes. They also didn't have a boy yet. No. No. Hmm. A motley group of troops assembled to fight for Alfonso most of whom had been fighting amongst themselves until recently. 
Isabella was all for leading the army to Toro, where the battle was to take place. But in the end, she decided that Ferdinand should go, and she stayed behind with the reserves. I should imagine she said, he said to her, just think how that makes me look. Yes. <laughs> Sit down, please. Yes. Stay. I'll here. do this. Be a good girl. <laughs> <laughs> Ferdinand attacked a river fort first that had refused to surrender. And although during the attack the fort then tried to surrender twice, Ferdinand ignored that. Those who were not killed outright were left hanging on the walls to die slowly in the blistering heat. Oh! One chronicler said, quote, it seemed like hell itself, unquote. Oh, goodness. And I mention this because Ferdinand may be coming across as a rather accommodating and loving man at the moment. No. He was ruthless, if not cruel. Oh, that's cruel. That's mm. cruel. I mean, so was Isabella. He certainly seems to have lost that compassion he was alleged to have when he was fighting with his dad. No kidding. Yeah. Ferdinand then decided to retreat because Alfonso had the tactical advantage in that place because there was an unimpeded route back to Portugal. So he could keep bringing in more troops and resources. So it did make military sense for Ferdinand to leave or to fight another day in another place. Right. But Ferdinand's troops mutinied because they'd yeah, gone they there do to not like fight, retreats. damn it. Yes. No. They'd gone there to fight and to gather all the spoils, which goes with fighting. Yes. And slaves, now that we know about them. Awesome. Ferdinand quelled the mutiny, although I couldn't see how, except that he told them to go back to Tordesillas, and they did, so... Hmm. But if the troops were a tad miffed with him, that was nothing compared to the fury that met him when he got home. <laughs> Isabella actually laid into him in public. Mm, that's not good. No. There were other victories, though. Ferdinand's half-brother, Alfonso of Aragon, helped out with state-of-the-art state besieging equipment, showing you know, Isabella's choice to align herself with Aragon was a pretty good one. Yes. Alfonso of Portugal, there's so many Alfonsos in this, had been waiting for the French to help him, but Louis XI had been busy <laughs> with a little English problem. <laughs> Ferdinand and Isabella established a division of labour between them in military matters. Isabella raised the troops and made sure that they were well-fed and housed, and Ferdinand fought the battles. But they did have a different approach. Ferdinand was all for bribing people to change sides and to turn against their leaders. He preferred the subtle, if not devious, approach. Yes. She just wanted to beat them. <laughs> yes. She just points her troops in one direction, says, there they are, they're the enemies, now kill them. Yep. That's, that's her, her uh, tactics. 1476, in the first battle with Alfonso, the Portuguese lost 500 men. Ferdinand lost five. Which really? sounds very unlikely. <laughs> very. Mm. It's, it's said that the battle was pretty much a draw, which doesn't sound like it. But I think this is what Isabella was broadcasting. Right. Because it doesn't really matter what actually happens. really wins the battle, does it? No, it's what gets put about. It's spin. Mm-hmm. Alfonso was still waiting for the French to help him, but Louis XI had been busy with a little Burgundian problem. So. <laughs> <laughs> He's not coming, Alfonso. No, nope. Just forget it. No. Nope. <laughs> so Portuguese are on the back foot. Victory for Ferdinand and Isabella was in sight, and Ferdinand went home to help his dad. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. The Castilians were in mid-siege of Cantal, Cantalapiedra. Cantala Piedra. I I don't know why, but it makes me happy when you struggle with words <laughs> like I do. <laughs> I 
It's a very long word. <laughs> but Ferdinand had told his troops not to do anything until he got back, which seems quite extraordinary. Just yes. to say, stay there. Don't do anything. I'll be back in a few months, OK? A few months. Right. He's well, gone I'm for a while. I'm not sure how long it was, but, I mean, he probably didn't know. He's setting off for a battle at home. Yes. Who's to know how long it would take? And Ferdinand had barely set out on his journey when Isabella announced to the troops that the siege was back on. You know, don't take, it, don't take any yep. notice of the city, <laughs> man. And Ferdinand was so angry... Oh, I can imagine. ...that he went hawking. Oh, Lovely. And then to cap it, cap it all, while Ferdinand was off helping Dad, Isabella had one success after another and pretty much won the war. <laughs> that's, that's the abridged version. <laughs> 30th of June, 1478, their son Juan was born. And the fact they had a male child was seen by many as a vindication of their usurpation of the throne because God was smiling upon them. Yes, he gave them a son. They now mm. have an heir. Yeah. A legitimate male heir. Why that's more important than a female, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, a female slightly dodgy one as well, because she was born out of wedlock. Yes. True, because of the fake dispensation. But the new dispensation was retroactive, Lucy. <laughs> well, I'm sure God will sort them out. <laughs> On the 9th of October, 1478... Ferdinand pressured Louis XI to sign the Treaty of Saint-Jean-de-Luth and Guadeloupe, in which France recognised Ferdinand and Isabella as the legal monarchs of Castile, in return for Ferdinand breaking all ties with Maximilian. I'm not sure what, how much of a loss that is at this point, but presumably Ferdinand was helping Maximilian keep the French out. I don't remember Ferdinand But why do they need his recognition? I don't see that as being beneficial. While he's doing that, Isabella is negotiating with, with her Portuguese aunt for a treaty with Portugal. Ah. So if they've got treaties all around, then they're saying, all of them okay. saying, you're definitely the real ones. Gotcha. Then it's, it's just security, isn't it? Yes, that makes, that makes a lot more sense. Mm. I keep forgetting that France, well, because he never showed up, I was forgetting that Louis XI mm. was supposed to be helping Portugal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I should imagine he forgot that most of the time as well. <laughs> <laughs> I've got what I want. Now, forget Shoo. it. Shoo. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, this treaty with Portugal, as far as Isabella was concerned, was mainly to strip poor Juana la Beltraneja of any legitimacy at all and to shove her into a convent. Oh, yeah. But then again, the choice was that or marry her uncle, so... Yes, I think I'd choose the convent. Yeah, I think I would. Yeah. This rather pulled the rug out from under the feet of Alfonso of Portugal, but he did ratify the treaty and renounced all claims to the throne of Castile, and Isabella did the same to the throne of Portugal. Yeah. So everyone's happy. Yes, we got it all done. Well, he's not happy, but it's done. <laughs> yeah. Except poor Juana la Beltraneja. Yes. Stuck in her nunnery. Unless she liked it. Maybe. I should think anything for a quiet life after that. I mean, she yes. Was, she was... How old would she be now? 15? Yes. And her entire life, she's been put down as an illegitimate daughter. Yep. Probably not treated well. Nope. At least in a convent, she gets left alone. Yeah. I'd say there's a lot to be said for it. And it depends. We know she's gone into a convent, but we don't know if she's gone into a convent as a noble woman or as a postulant. 
mm. which are two so very she, different lives. So she might be living a perfectly pleasant life. Yes. Just surrounded by nuns. Yes. It's all right. 20th of February, 1479, Ferdinand's father, King John, died. And he was 80. 80? Hmm? Good for you. Yeah, Ferdinand succeeded him as king. Now he was king of Castile, Aragon, Leon, Sicily, Sardinia and Count of Barcelona. Where is Athens in Africa? <laughs> Athens is in there somewhere. He got a lot of titles. I just picked a few at random. <laughs> and he probably hasn't taken the African one yet. And on the 14th of April, 1481, in the Cortes, he granted Isabella the same powers that he had received in 1475. So designating her as co-regent, governor and administrator of the kingdoms of Aragon. Hmm. November 1479, Juana was born and Ferdinand had been back in Aragon, but he now appeared in Toledo with an elephant. Oh, there's <laughs> the elephant. There's the elephant. So he wasn't always a monstrous dad. <laughs> <laughs> I brought you an elephant. You can yes. ride him. Well, or you're, her. you're a newborn baby, but yes. <laughs> and when the girls were little, Ferdinand bought them dolls with clothes to dress them in, Aww. and he got Juan a chess set. Aww. So he sure. actually did well. I don't know. Maybe he cared. Yeah. Maybe he's just buying their loyalty. And there's no reason to think at this stage that he didn't like his children. True. At this stage. At this stage. <laughs> I'm just going by what happens later. Granada. And you did cover this in depth in Isabella's episode, but it was one of the most important events of this time. And in 1492, it was certainly seen as the most important event of 1492. Yes. Whatever we might think now. So we'll take a quick look at it. A crusade against the Muslims had several things going for it, as far as Ferdinand and Isabella were concerned. For one thing, it knighted the squabbling grandees against a common enemy. Okay. Which was... Definitely a good thing as yes. far as they were concerned. Yeah, and I'm not going to go into this de in detail because Ferdinand and Isabella are together fighting these wars, so that's what you get. Ferdinand and Isabella did this, Ferdinand and Isabella did that. There's nothing here that's just relevant to Ferdinand. There was a lot of backwards and forwards between the Christians and Muslims with some humiliating disasters on the Christian side. Yes. Isabella wasn't particularly bothered by Christian casualties since those who died fighting the Moors were given extra brownie points in heaven. Yes, I know. Yes. Not that I'm trying to rub it in or anything, but um, she's definitely got a, quite a nasty streak. Yes, she does. She definitely does. <laughs> I'm sort of feeling that now I'm team Ferdinand and I've oh, got to really? fight for his side. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like I have to fight for her side. I just think that... Everybody so far that's been a monarch, I'm sort of becoming inured to the fact that everybody's mean, everybody's awful. Mm. And if you need to be in power, you're going to have to be awful. Because mm. we haven't found a nice one yet. No. No. The decision to invade Grenada was taken at the Cortes of Toledo in 1480. Grenada. Grenada. Granada. I was going to say it was Granada, but I was just going to let it <laughs> Grenada, go. Grenada was probably 1980, I think, <laughs> wasn't it? The chronicler thought that Ferdinand and Isabella had it in mind from the start of their reign to invade Granada, but they had other problems at the time, so they made truces with the Emir. And Ferdinand said that he decided to act because the Emir Emirate had broken a truce and had stopped paying a tribute. Right. 
Also, Ferdinand was afraid that if they left it too long, any advantage that the Christians had with their artillery would be lost. Right. As the Muslims had making their own advance advances, particularly with your Mr. Mehmet II. Yes. If you want to listen to that, you'll need to get onto Patreon. Tudoriferous Patreon. Once is never enough. <laughs> it just, it ties everything together without... We... We use Patreon to focus on people that did have an effect on the surrounding issues or times. And it's amazing how much they link together and how much they affect England, even though they're so far away. It has this domino effect that goes all the way across Europe. Mm. Well, especially when you talk about the Turks or the yes. Ottomans, rather. Ottomans, yeah. yeah. Machiavelli pointed out, quote, Nothing brings a prince more prestige than great campaigns and striking demonstrations of personal, personal ability. So it wasn't going to do Ferdinand's prestige any harm at all to be fighting in Granada. Unless yeah, he lost, true. of course. Yes. <laughs> or died. <laughs> yeah. But then he'd be dying fighting the, the heathen. Yes, that's So he'd true. be the ones getting the extra bounty points in heaven. Very true. Pope Sixtus IV had issued a crusading bull against Granada in 1479 and again in 1482. So this had all been sanctified. It's, this is sanctified killing. Oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> wow. March 1484, Isabella was all for carrying on the Granada Wars, but Ferdinand was heading back to Aragon. And I don't think it's necessarily fair to chastise him for going home since he is trying to run two countries at the same time. <laughs> Very true. And Aragon does take a backseat on most occasions. Yeah, I suppose so. If he's in Castile, it has to take a backseat because he's not mm. even there. Yeah, okay. But as we've okay. seen, the, the courtiers are perfectly capable of ruling themselves. They don't seem to need him because he's no better than they are. <laughs> <laughs> we are just as good as you. Yes. Whereas um, Isabella only has to rule Castile. So, yeah, she's got a cushy time of it, really, in comparison. Yes. Yes. On his return to Castile, he laid siege to a few places, fought a few battles, and was then for calling it a day for that season, because that was the end of the fighting season. But he got a missive, a missive from Isabella saying that the king, quote, if he wished, could continue laying waste to the area and could besiege some other town <laughs> since there was enough summer left to be able to do so, unquote. Oh, wow. That seems a very husband and wifey thing to say. Oh, yeah. If you wish. Yeah. <laughs> if you have time, can you yes. please? <laughs> this is not a request. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to lay siege? Yes. <laughs> I've just Darling. had a thought. <laughs> <laughs> or the statement that always strikes fear into my husband's heart. <laughs> I've been thinking. <laughs> yes, I caught that one. Rob always says, oh, God. Yes. <laughs> so does Jason. Jason immediately starts saying, no, no, no. <laughs> so anyway, she's just said, get on with it, unquote. <laughs> So Ferdinand, probably sighing, since he'd hoped to put his feet up for a bit, <laughs> got on and did it. He does as he's told. The plague hit the area where the family was staying and they had to flee. 
And during a break in hostilities in 1485, Catherine of Aragon was born. Mm -hmm. this, this was a long drawn out campaign, but on the 8th of January, 1492, Granada was in the hands of Ferdinand and Isabella. Yes. And as far as Rome was concerned, the fall of Granada went some way to making up for the loss of Constantinople in 1453. Uh, not enough, but <laughs> some way. Ferdinand and Isabella captured Granada from Boabdil, whom we heard about in Isabella's episode. Yes. Boabdil handed the keys to Ferdinand and Ferdinand immediately handed them to Isabella. <laughs> <laughs> which initially I thought was very telling. But later I read another version of this key story. Yes, Ferdinand handed them to Isabella, but then Isabella handed them to the Infante Juan, a son, and he handed them to the Count of Tendia, who was going to be the new Christian governor. So they just sort of passed it down the line. It wasn't, it wasn't you, but you better keep these, dear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that takes a little bit away. <laughs> Machiavelli said of the taking of Granada, quote, at the start of his reign, he, Ferdinand, attacked Granada, and this campaign laid the foundations of his power. First, he embarked on it undistracted and without fear of interference. <laughs> <laughs> Go away! <laughs> yes. You're making me look weak. <laughs> He used, where am I? He used it to engage the energies of the barons of Castile, who, as they were giving their minds to the war, had no mind for causing trouble at home. In this way, without their realising what was happening, he increased his standing and his control over them, unquote. And I think you're right, it's not just Ferdinand, it's Isabella, but I mm -hmm. don't think Machiavelli likes women. I don't think so either, because <laughs> I'm thinking about that. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I know a different way that that went, but okay. <laughs> but were they both doing this for different reasons? Was Isabella doing it for purely or mainly religious reasons? And Ferdinand was looking at the wider picture of this will help to keep the country together Economics. This won't do me any harm. I don't know. Because hmm. it's... When reading about Isabella, she seemed to have two focuses. And it seems split right down the middle. It was Everything was either for religion or for her children. Mm. And then what was good for Castile seemed to keep come third. But at the same time, it was sort of built in for what was good for Juan, her son. Hmm. But she was very focused on that. She, I didn't see anything really in there about economics or diplomacy with external sources where it didn't involve marrying her children. Yeah, that's interesting because there's a lot in Ferdinand. <laughs> he does yeah. a lot of external diplomacy. So maybe they, they decided you're really good at this. You're really good at this. Maybe because we'll, he is really good at it. Yeah. Maybe it's a lot more of a partnership. It's just that it's not necessarily the traditional lines of a partnership that should have been followed at that time. So mm. it comes across as Isabella is more important than she really was just because the lines of division were different. It's possible. And we're looking at a sort of internal Castilian politics. Yes. Where it's probably more Isabella than Ferdinand. And he's... The outside. About, yeah, um doing being a universal spider yes <laughs> so maybe two. it is a true partnership in the fullest sense of the word hmm? yeah, well there's another reason why ferdinand would want to do this war with granada because he's thinking of, of it strategically 
The King of Navarre, and Navarre is on the top left of Spain, butting up against France. Yes. The King of Navarre had sought alliances with Granada, so that Castile would have to fight on two fronts if they both invaded together. Much like, you know, the old alliance, France and Scotland would invade England. England, yes. So now Granada was theirs, they wouldn't have that problem. Right. So that was quite handy, and even less they even had less of a problem when later Ferdinand took Navarre. Yes. <laughs> Wait, I didn't know that. He takes Navarre? <laughs> he didn't do it when Isabella was alive, so I didn't go any farther. No, well, he lives a lot longer than she does. So yes, he does. There's, there's a lot after that. I wonder... That's one of those I wonder things. If she had kept living, I wonder how far they would have gotten. Because the two mm. of them together were awful... Seemed to me to be a lot stronger than when Ferdinand was on his own. I don't know. Well, we'll see. Because this this episode takes us up to Isabella's death. Okay. And then... It's the episodes after that yes. will show us what he's really capable of. Okay. Especially, especially the third one. It's very, I found it interesting insight into an extremely devious mind. Okay. Hmm. Hmm. Ferdinand imposed the extremely liberal Treaty of Granada. I don't know if they might have thought it was liberal. <laughs> they might have thought it could have been a lot worse, okay. but they had lost a battle, so they probably weren't thrilled about it. But that was in 1491, uh, following the capitulation of Granada. The treaty proved very favourable to the Muslims who got to retain their faith, customs and clothes. But this all changed when the Archbishop of Toledo, Francisco Jimenez de and I'm just making up the pronunciation for that. <laughs> he settled in Granada in 1499. He carried out a policy, this um, Archbishop of Toledo carried out a policy of heavy-handed forced conversion, which was a gross violation of the initial treaty. And this resulted, not surprisingly, in rebellion. Ferdinand crushed the rebellion and then he and Isabella issued an edict of conversion. All Muslims residing in Castile were to convert to Christianity or face expulsion. But not Aragon. Not Aragon. Not Aragon. Wow. Now, most, did, most did convert nominally, while a few emigrated to North Africa. They, they were, the Muslims were safe in Aragon until Charles V. He expelled them in 1526, so yeah. it was only a matter of time. Yes, I remember that expulsion. And you mentioned in Isabella's episode that a certain Lord Scales was fighting in the Granada campaign. Yes. Edward Woodville, or yes. Edward Woodpile, as it always puts it in my book. <laughs> and his, his, his teeth were knocked out. But there was also someone else we've come across repeatedly who was fighting there. Really? Mm-hmm. Juan Borgia. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> we need a sort of fanfare for Juan Borgia. He just comes up all the time. <laughs> yeah, it'll be the death knell. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> or sound of a body being thrown into a river. <laughs> well, I've got a river just out the back here. I'll go and throw something in it and record it. The Inquisition. Oh, here we go. In a book about Isabella, it said that Ferdinand and Isabella invented the Inquisition. Invented is probably not a word. So why, in a book called The Spanish Inquisition... Is Ferdinand not mentioned once? <laughs> <laughs> so just as you did, I'm going to leave the Inquisition for a future special episode. Perfect. Thank you. Yes. And I'm hoping you pick that. <laughs> I don't want to do it. 
Yeah, I looked in the index. Nothing. Not a word. Should we even do the Inquisition, though? Spanish Arpada is going to have to go into that in depth. We could leave it to them. Yeah, because it's not the English Inquisition. No. Yeah, we'll leave it to them. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Phew. (laughs) 7th December 1492. A lot happened in 1492. Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Yeah, we're not interested in that. No. (laughs) Ferdinand was walking down the staircase from the old royal palace in Barcelona. And I would recommend, if if people haven't been to Barcelona, go to Barcelona. I've got to get to Europe. There was a peasant farmer, Juan de Canyamas. But Ferdinand wouldn't have noticed him. He was a peasant farmer. And anyway, he stepped aside as Ferdinand passed. So the first that Ferdinand would have known that he had been stabbed was when he felt the pain in the back of his neck. Yes, I remember. he was wearing a thick gold chain which deflected the blow a bit. So it wasn't as bad as it might have been, but it was still bad. When Isabella heard what had happened, she immediately assumed it was a political coup and arranged for their son Juan to be rowed out to sea to keep him out, out of the way of it all. I imagine a sort of little little sort of pedalo and he's just yeah. out there on the side. But I should imagine he rode him white out to sea. Yeah, but wow. Well, if Ferdinand died... Smart, but at the same time, unusual. Well, maybe it was had to be done so quickly, you know. Ferdinand's been stabbed. Quick, get him in the boat. Yeah, there is no tower, there's no castle. Yeah. Here's, here's some sandwiches. Yeah. You might have to sit out there for a while. At least she didn't just throw him in the water. (laughs) (laughs) Swim, swim. (laughs) Well, Ferdinand thought he was going to die. He wouldn't let Isabella see him till he'd finished his preparations for death with his priests. Doctors cleaned the wound, removed bits of bone, and think of that without anaesthetic, and sewed sewed up the wound with seven stitches. So it's not that big. Well, it depends on how far apart the stitches were. I was say, if it's my sewing, it'll be quite <laughs> gaping. <laughs> Even so, it was touch and go as to whether Ferdinand would survive. The following day, he appeared to be making some recovery, but a week after that, the wound became infected. Uh oh. His tongue swelled up and his face turned red. It sounds like that ballad of Sir Robin, doesn't it? His tongue swelled up and his face turned red. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Ferdinand, I've taken this too lightly. (laughs) And his heart rate rocketed. The wound has grown so that apparently you could put four fingers in it. And if that's what they were doing, no wonder it got Uh, infected. It's like President Garfield. Yes, President Garfield and Totalis Rankium, US presidents that, oh, everybody's, have you put your finger in and wiggled it around a bit? (laughs) Yeah, try it with a stick. Oh, gosh. Yeah, if, if that's my favourite Totanis Rankium president episode. Especially when you get to the end where they start having all the people writing in with a comment. If you heat the body up to 1500 degrees Fahrenheit, it'll melt. Then you can just turn the body and pour the bullet out. What? <laughs> so good. Yeah, that, that would have been on the internet then. It was on, underneath the YouTube video. <laughs> Well, yeah, in fact, the city of the city was full of people all saying that they would do this and they would do that. <laughs> the king recovered. Uh, I'm not sure how many of those pledges were actually fulfilled. And I don't think there were any any people saying, have you tried heating his body up? <laughs> <laughs> but 
But by Christmas, Ferdinand was out of danger. But he was oh, still wait. too weak to leave the palace. Was it Nero? Which, which, no, Caligula? Yeah, one of them was going to die, and people said that they would gladly take his place if it would mean he'd survive. And when he does, he goes around and makes sure that they die, that yes. they killed themselves. Which Was that Caligula? Or Commodus? Was one of the crazy ones. Was it Elagab- Elagabalus? Might have been. Sorry, another Totalus Rankium yes. one. Go find Sorry. it and let us know which <laughs> one it is. I've already listened to them like several times over again and over again. And if you're wondering about if you're wondering about the peasant farmer Kanya Mars, he was not part of a coup, even under torture. That's a horrible phrase to sort of throw. Even, even under, under torture. torture, he stuck to his story that he'd been told by an evil spirit that if he killed Ferdinand, he'd be king. And Isabella protected him from being lynched by the mobs, and graciously and with huge compassion, said that he should be killed by drowning instead. Oh, and she really did think this was compassionate. This was compassionate. And, and in a way, it would have been. Would have been. Kenya Mars had, his, had the hand that held the dagger cut off. By whose order? Well, I assume... Well, I've said Isabella wasn't told of this until after it happened, but Ferdinand must have given his approval. Somebody must Somebody have given Somebody had approval. to have. Mm. Although this is in Aragon, so maybe it's one of the Cortes. Oh, right. She doesn't have any power. Yeah. The hand that held the dagger was cut off. The feet that had taken him to kill Ferdinand were cut off. The eyes that had shown him the way were gouged out. The heart that had held the plan was cut out. His flesh was ripped with pincers. And then his body was thrown to the mob. Oh, my God. The mob might have been quicker. Drowning might have been quicker. Yes. Nasty. Very. Poor bloke. I mean, he was obviously had a mental illness. I mean, he did try and stab... Ferdinand to death, but if he thought it was going to make him king, then yes, he would have had a mental illness. Oh, brutal times. Very. And now we'll look at the expulsion of the Jews. Oh, sunshine, happy rainbows. <laughs> oh, gosh. The, the policy of Ferdinand and Isabella was consistently anti Semitic. But it was in 1492, after the fall of Granada, that they decreed that all Jews in Spain must be either baptised or leave the country. And estimates as to the number involved, and the numbers involved, varied greatly. Anywhere from 165,000 to 400,000 may have left, and perhaps 50,000 remained and were converted. Wow. And this had a disastrous effect on the economy. Yes. Ferdinand and Isabella were warned of this. But Isabella viewed the damage as worth the religious purity of Spain. Wow. And I don't know Ferdinand's opinion of this, whether he thought actually <sighs> the economy is quite important or whether he went along because with she the religious was, side. I don't know, but it, I asked why once. Why were Christians so horrible to Jews? And... The response I got, and I'm trying to remember because I was a teenager when I when I first learned of the Holocaust, and I asked about it. And in the medieval times, there was the belief that the Jews needed to be punished because they were the ones that gave up Jesus to be executed. Hmm. Which I can sort of understand, but at the same time, that was God's plan. So why are you doing that? I, I don't understand. Yes. It, we... It's a bit like the Manius Maleficarum, because, yeah, that's 
the witches were meant to be God's plan, so was he right in, in doing his or in? I don't know. And I can't I can't put myself in that place. We aren't raised to believe that doing evil or doing bad things to other people is a good thing. That's just not something we're raised with. Whereas that's what they are. Mm-hmm. In Isabella's time, all of the things that she's doing even though they are cruel, are to the betterment of Christianity and keeping people in heaven and that kind of thing. Yeah, it really is a feeling of this hurts me more than it will hurt you. Yes. Because it hurts me to see you going down the wrong path yes. and ending up in hell. Yes. All right, it hurts you because we're torturing you. But that's a very minor point compared to how much it's hurting me to know that you're not yes. becoming a Christian. I'm trying to ensure that you don't spend an eternity in hell. Why can you not? understand this hmm. I'm on your side yeah right t- give another turn of the rack let's get going uh. the thinking behind the expulsion was that the so-called new Christians that is conversos might be tempted back into Judaism if there were Jews living nearby again I'm doing this for your good mm. hmm and in some areas Jews were given eight days to get out and since the plan was to ruin them into conversion they had to sell their places of residence for about 10% of their actual worth. Yes. Some were resettled in poorer parts of the area where they were then required to pay inflated rents. These were effectively ghettos since they were deliberately kept separate from other members of the community in case they infected them with Judaism. Oh, goodness. And this is not what the Jews had been expecting. They knew that under weak monarchs, lawlessness could lead to unofficial discrimination and pogroms and things Mm -hmm. but they had hoped for better under the strong rule of Ferdinand and Isabella especially since they had conversos in their court didn't they yes they did they also thought it'd be illogical to go after the Jewish people since it would be detrimental to the economy (laughs) so they know we're quite safe because they're just going to ruin themselves but no nope and when the Pope gave Ferdinand and Isabella the go-ahead to launch the Inquisition Jewish people might not have been too worried since it was mainly designed for to go for the wavering conversos. Right. Unconverted Jews might have felt that they were safe. And in fact, in an ugly twist, some Jews who hadn't converted were so disgusted with those who had that they informed on them to the Inquisition. Ooh. Mm, that's not good. No, that's not good either. Gosh, just be nice. Keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Close the door if you don't like looking at it and just yes. ignore it. Although, if we were to say that about somebody who's committing murder, we'd be upset. So, Mm. and that's kind of how you have to equate it. To them, it's the same as murder or a horrible crime. Well, the order of the expulsion pretty much blamed the conversos for the necessity of expelling the Jews. Really? Well, if they hadn't kept reneging on their base, tempted away by the sight of all those unconverted Jews in their midst then the Jews would have been able to stay. It's all their fault. Oh, goodness. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't say much for the Christian authorities' belief in the infallibility of their religion. No. Because you'd think they'd assume that when the Jews, Jews thought of the, saw the, all the wonders of Christianity, then it wouldn't occur to them to revert. But anyway, it was a constant worry that the conversos were so in name only. And even worse, if it can get worse... Ferdinand and Isabella stipulated to the King of Portugal that one of the conditions for the marriage treaty between him and their daughter Isabel was that Portugal should expel all the Jews living there too. Oh my goodness, I forgot about that. Mm. 
It's fair f- not many places to go. No. Well, Italy. Rodrigo Borgia will Rodrigo, take them in. yeah. Well, that's why it'd be interesting to hear about him because I've been reading Katerina Sportzer and it's horrifying. Oh, goodness. But he did take in Jews, so... A multi-dimensional person, I think. Yes. Yes. Three prominent Jews went to Ferdinand to beg him to reverse the decision to expel the Jews in Spain. And they offered him 30,000 ducats, which was actually 50 times what Ferdinand and Isabella intended to spend sending Columbus to America. (laughs) Ferdinand considered it, but eventually he said it had been a joint decision with Isabella. In other words... He wanted to do it, but he wasn't sure how he'd explain it to the missus, I think. (laughs) Ah. (laughs) They then went to Isabella, and she said she wouldn't even consider it, and she begged them to convert, and two of them did convert. Ferdinand and Isabella stood as godparents, but one fled to Naples, just in time for the French to come rolling in. I'm not going to use the S word. I'm not going to use the S word. We know what (laughs) happened in Naples. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, well, there was another event that happened in 1492, but I think... We might give it its own episode at some point. So we'll keep keep the ocean blue for another time. <laughs> okay. 1497, Prince Juan was taken ill. and had only recently been married to Margaret of Austria, and it was Ferdinand who rushed to his bedside while Isabella continued the journey to take the young Isabel to marry King Manuel of Portugal. Oh, so she, I forgot. Yeah, Ferdinand was horrified by how ill his son looked and told him to fight it, but Juan knew he was dying, which he very soon did. And Ferdinand then rode back along the road that Isabella was following him on, since, quote, it seems to me that for such news I should be with her, unquote. Mm. So there went their son and the heir to the thrones of Castile and Aragon, which is going to confuse matters somewhat. Yeah. By 1500, Portugal was no longer a threat. Spain was at least at peace with France. It had mutual protection pacts with England. There we are, England. Here we are. (laughs) England! These successes were, in a large part, the result of Ferdinand's creation of regular ambassadors in the European capitals. Because can you name any ambassadors in the English court, apart from the Spanish ones? Not offhand, no, actually. No. No, we know all about de Puebla and de Ayala and later Chapuy. Yeah. That's the reason Ferdinand was so well informed about what was going on in other countries, because Henry VII had his spies... Ferdinand's got his envoys and his ambassadors and he really makes probably the best use of them out of anybody in Europe. Hmm. So that's enough for today. Next week we'll look at the battle for supremacy between Ferdinand and Philip following Isabella's death with poor Juana stuck in the middle. Yes. And we'll finally see something of England when we look at how Ferdinand wrapped King Henry around his little finger. Which sounds so wrong. (laughs) In my head, I'm finding that hard to believe. Henry's just completely flailing. Really? In comparison, yeah. Wow, this is going to be really cool. Mm. Well, not for Henry, yeah. but for us. <laughs> well, Henry does it to other people. Yes, he does, which is why I'm surprised you say that. So I'm, I'm really interested to see how this goes. Yeah, I'm, I am as well, because it's been ages since I read, I did, did the research for it, and I can't remember what I've written in part two. Yeah. <laughs> So I'll have a read of it and find out what happens next. Okay. <laughs> so, yes, that's there's not much about England there, but I think I was, because we heard all about all of this happening from Isabella's point of view, Yes. I thought I'd, I'd, I'd give poor Ferdinand his moment in the dock <laughs> to, give, 
to say, look, I'm not useless. <laughs> <laughs> I just have other things to do, okay? <laughs> it's all right for you. You're only running one country. I'm running two. <laughs> And I've got civil wars and I need to get Roussillon and Sedan back again yes. for some reason. Yes. Well, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Okay. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.